0: The Nonprofit MBA Purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holasnik. Welcome everyone. My name is Stephen Holasnik and I will be your host today for the Nonprofit MBA Podcast. I am co-founder of Financing Solutions and for those of you who don't know us, we are actually the leading provider of lines of credit to small nonprofits in the United States. And you know, having a line of credit, it always had been out of reach for many, many nonprofits. And I you know we've been doing this for eleven years, the our company, and it's really the product has taken off. It's you know really helpful for nonprofits to have a line of credit. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more, just visit uh, nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Today, I'm extremely excited to be speaking with Dolph Goldenberg from Successful Nonprofits. And today, we're going to be covering the topic of uh, keys of participatory nonprofit strategic planning. Uh, and I think that's going to be great. I love the word participatory, participatory, even though if I can't pronounce it, I love it. Um Dolph has a track record of guiding nonprofit organizations through strategic planning, board development, and leadership transitions. Before becoming a consultant in 2015, he was the executive director of Philadelphia's LGBTQ Community Center and served as the executive director of Georgia's largest provider of HIV supportive housing providers. His clients have included large nonprofits like North Coast Opportunities and Hope Atlanta, and also small but mighty nonprofits like Georgia Lawyers for the Arts, the Transgender Legal Defense and Education Fund, and Zebra Coalition. He holds a Master's of Public Administration and a Bachelor's of Social Work from Georgia State University. Dolph, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast.
1: Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate the introduction and I'm so grateful to be on today.
0: Yeah, I uh, you know, it, it's so important, I think, for nonprofits who haven't done much strategic planning, haven't done any strategic planning, to recognize how important it is to have good strategic planning, isn't it?
1: it? It absolutely is. I will share with you that I am often surprised at organizations that will say to themselves, okay, in three years' time or in five years' time, we want to be serving three times as many people but they don't know how they're going to get there. They're just kind of living on this hope that, oh yeah, if we say it, we can make it happen. Yeah. I, I also
0: think too, that executive directors that are are not only running smaller organizations, but who are just, we all know that they're completely so busy. They're doing so much. Right. And, and, you know, I think eventually they start saying, I I can't do this anymore. You know, I hit a wall, uh, emotionally, physically, and then they start saying, we gotta do something different here. And I think that's when the planning comes into play where they start saying, okay, this is our, you know, we have to work on our plan because I just can't do it anymore. I can't do it all. And I think that's when you have your come to quote unquote Jesus moment where you say, okay, wait a minute, let me take a step back. So when, when you first started, in the nonprofit sector. Tell me how you think you kind of transitioned from valuing uh, to, you know, to valuing strategic partnership. I'm sorry, to valuing um, strategizing.
1: Uh, I'd be happy to, but first I definitely want us to talk for just a second, if we could, about those executive directors. Uh, that, because I'll share with you, the average tenure for a nonprofit executive director, chief executive in this country is less than three years. Wow. And the vast majority of executive directors only do it once. They do it once. They're like, oh my gosh, that was a terrible job. <sighs> I never want to do it again. And and the other thing that we also see, and I say this again and again and again about executive directors, there's kind of like an 18-month demarcation line and and. The vast majority of executive directors who are going to leave in less than three years actually leave in less than 18 months. And oftentimes they're first time executive directors. And, and, you know, you often, you get, and by the way, this was frankly my story too. Like, although my first executive director engagement, I would, or job, I was there for six and a half years. But, you know, the part of the story that's true for me is, you become an executive director and you know your one area really well you came up through fundraising or you came up through operations and finance or you came up through programs and you know that area really well and suddenly you are reporting for the first time in your life to 10 or 12 people and on top of that you have to learn these other two areas so like i came up in fundraising and consequently i had to learn programs and i had to learn operations and finance and and so it's a it's a steep learning curve and a lot's being thrown at you. And that's also where, frankly, strategic planning and a playbook can be really helpful because it helps you as an executive director figure out what you're going to focus on. And cause because that's really what's so critical. As an executive director, you're you kind of live in a fishbowl. And so your, you know, your board, your 10, 12, 15 board members are all looking at you as the leader of the organization your staff often look at you and assume you have far more power than you do and you know look to you to solve problems and answer, but everybody literally is looking at you. You're the only person in your organization with that position. And you're the person in the organization who's perceived as having the most power, but also the person who, quite frankly, if they're doing their job well, is bringing everybody along with them and everybody feels pretty satisfied, and coming along with them, and and so that's where the strategic planning project process can be so very useful because it helps you figure out what's important and what's not. It also helps the ED be able to say no to things because you know our nos protect our yeses.
0: Mm. Yeah i I think most of the organizations that we work, with, which which are under five million in revenue, you know, mostly on average like one point five million in revenue the the executive director is the founder they're running the show and they're the one who puts the board together. So it isn't like when, like one thing that caught my attention was when you said 10 to 12 board members, I don't, I don't think any of our clients have 10 to 12 board members. They have three to five. And, and so I don't think that the, you know, so the reason I'm illustrating this is, the executive director is putting the board members together. They're they're recruiting them, they're running the operation, they're doing everything. And now we're saying to the executive director, hey, now you on top of everything else, you have to start doing some strategic planning. And whereas, you know, when you work for a big nonprofit, usually I think you're stepping into a role as an executive director where someone has been there before. And everything's been defined, and the board president is kind of the owner for the strategic plan. would you, is that fair to say?
1: Uh, certainly, there's a there are multiple board members that are really involved in strategic planning. Uh-huh. but can we go talk can we go back and just chat for a minute about those founding executive directors and founding boards? And I hear you hundred percent, Stephen. Uh, I I'm a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and one of my coaches took me aside about a month ago uh, because I put something on social media about a client. He goes, "Oh, you you work in the nonprofit sector? I I have this nonprofit, and I feel really stuck. And guess what? Exactly what you described. Have three board members. One is a family member. Um, one is uh one of his coaches, and and another person is is a is a very close friend. And you know, and so I said, well, you know, really what you need to be doing also is thinking about your board because the board you have is not going to get you where you want to go. And the other thing I'll just share with you, I also really quickly kind of looked the organization up, um, had not renewed its state registration, had not filed a nine hundred and ninety. And that's what happens often when you have a really small board who does not understand their governance role and a founding executive director with a passion for the mission, but does not understand what it is they're supposed to be doing. And so, um, one of the things when we do strategic planning, we always include a board evaluation with that because you've got to have the board that will get you where you want to go you know and, and for most organizations, this is true whether you're a hundred thousand dollar organization or whether you're a ten million dollar organization. The board you have today is not the board that will get you to where you want to be in three or five years
0: yeah, I think having heard you say that i think if i I, and I am on the board of a, of a nonprofit um and it's a smaller nonprofit. And I am the one who's, who is uh, championing the strategic planning because I know how important it is. Um, and I think if I was an executive director, I think I would go out and recruit somebody who has done strategic planning before and say, this is what I need. I need you to help us all put together a strategic plan. That's your role. You know, and and let's face it, when you come to smaller nonprofits, a lot of times they're just looking for a body, right? To fill a board seat. It's just that's the way it is. You you maybe you find someone who's enthusiastic about it. Maybe you find somebody who is a big their biggest donor, you know, and you got it, and they and everyone says, Well, I have to have a board, so you know, and then they feel like once they got that seat filled and they have three people or five people, they're like, Okay, I'm good for a year, right? So you know, I, I, I get you and I, I kind of feel for, uh you know, I, I think that if I was an executive, do you think it's a good idea what I said, which is if you're an executive director and you don't have anybody who's taken over your strategic planning role and you really don't know how to do it or you don't have the time, uh, you know, to not come up with the plan yourself, but uh, do you think it's a good idea to go find somebody to do that?
1: So I think you've kind of got one or two choices and, and yes, you've got to find someone to do that. You either find a board member to do that, or you need to go and find a consultant who can help facilitate that process. I will share with you, Stephen, that again and again, I see boards try to do strategic planning on their own, and it's difficult. And the reason is, you know, the consultant is kind of um, the pleasantly persistent reminder. Oh, we need to do this. Oh, yeah, we're going to have a meeting on Tuesday. And most of us in our volunteer roles don't like playing that role, even if we do it professionally, you know, you know just to be that pleasantly persistent, oh yeah, yeah, hey, everyone's got to get their stakeholder interviews done by next Tuesday because we're meeting the Tuesday after that. I, I will share with you that the way we do strategic planning at, at Successful Nonprofits is we help the organization put together a work group. And that work group has about eight to nine people on it. And the vast majority of them are going to be board members. And the reason is strategic planning is a core governance duty of your board. Your board has to be involved in strategic planning your board gets to set the direction of the organization that's the way it works but so the vast majority of your work group frankly are just that your board members and then you might have a, you might have well first you absolutely have to have your chief executive or executive director your executive director might invite one other staff member maybe the person who they think of as their number two a a trusted person who really they work with very closely in-house and then you might have one or two community members and what i often encourage our clients to think about is to find community members who are potential board members because by the time the process is over with and you know a good strategic planning process uh we can talk about this in a second. One of the things I did wrong early on in my career was to think that strategic planning was was a half day or full day board retreat. Bada bing, bada boom, you were done and everything was good. Um, I have since learned that a really good strategic planning process, frankly, takes about six to eight months. But by the time you're done with that strategic planning process, what ends up happening is your board members under, that are on the work group or that those community members that are on the work group understand your organization in a way that quite frankly, no one other than maybe the executive director and the CFO would understand the organization.
0: Uh, I I completely agree with you 100. I think I think it's a no-brainer that you sh- they should bring you on board. They should bring you on board as a consultant. If you're gonna if you really want to take your nonprofit seriously, you got to bring on a consultant to, to help you facilitate building the strategic plan. And honestly. If you're building the strategic plan, a lot of things will fall into place after that. Having a good board, it'll because you're participatory, there's that word. Everything will work because let's face it, the majority of people on the board aren't experienced people in nonprofits anyway. They're experienced business people maybe, but that's completely different than running a board, right? And so I think the the, the, the consultants, you, you know, in this case, Dolph, you can help facilitate that. And it's, it's really not that expensive either. It's just, it's your organization, in my opinion, will grow more if you take the money that you're raising and have a percentage of it going to somebody who knows how to build this strategic plan.
1: Fair? Absolutely. I mean, organizations that plan, and this is true whether we're talking about strategic planning, uh, fundraising planning, organizations that plan have a greater impact. Even if, and I never recommend this, even if they don't look at the plan, they still have a greater impact because they did the work and they kind of have an innate understanding of what their environment looks like and what they need to be doing. Uh, I will share with you part of how we do strategic planning. And this is, again, like I've, I've over the last three decades of my nonprofit journey, I've, I've learned a lot about how to lead organizations, how to manage organizations, and how to plan. And you know, and what some consultants will do is they will come in and they'll essentially do your, their, the environmental scan for you. So they'll reach out and they'll call like 20 stakeholders. What we do is we take your work group of eight or nine folks. We'll brainstorm about 100 stakeholders. We'll divide those stakeholders up among the work group members. And by the way, the magic number is two-thirds. Only about two thirds of of each work group member's stakeholders say, Yes, I want to be interviewed. But for a lot of these stakeholders, again, who are board members, this is the first time they've had conversations with funders, with clients, with organizational partners. And suddenly now, not just in strategic planning, but also in board meetings, when they're sitting around the table and making a key governance decision, they can think, oh yeah, I remember when I talked to this funder and this was a big issue. Or, oh yeah, when I talked to this partner, this is an unmet need that we need to be filling. And so it actually makes them not just better in terms of they're helping to plan, but it makes them better at governing your organization. And, and frankly, it's one of the reasons why. Well, there's many reasons why organizations should be doing strategic planning every three years. Not the least of which is, you know, m- very few of us have a crystal ball that can see out more than three years. But also, most boards—about a third to half of your board will be gone in three years, and you always want your board to have this innate understanding of the environment in which your organization is operating.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm going to add to. You know, I've been in my own businesses now for over 25 years, and so strategic planning to me has always been important. And by the way, I just want everybody to know if if you if you haven't built a business before, everybody thinks that uh, that business owners have strategic plans. I would tell you <laughs> that if you are under. million in revenue a year. That I would guarantee you, 95% of those businesses do not have a strategic plan. So it is not common. And I would tell you from my experience and knowing hundreds of business owners just to correlate it into a nonprofit. And then maybe, Dolph, you could tell me what you think on the nonprofit side. From my experience, the businesses that have a strategic plan. They grow exponentially, they're organized, their employees are happier and and it's and and they're more sellable the companies and so to me it's like uh i I wish I could think of a great correlation i'm a you know I'm a big tennis player uh you know if you if you take a step back and you learn those who have learned the Basics of a great forehand and took the time to know the basics before they jump into some high level stuff. Well, I not know, it's not the great analogy. They do better at tennis. And so it's kind of me a no brainer. So have,
1: do you think that correlates to the nonprofit sector, what I just said? Absolutely. And another real similarity that I see between small nonprofits under 10 million and small for profits under 10 million is not just will you often will you often find they don't have a strategic plan. Many of them, if you said, hey, can we see your 12 month cash flow forecast, yeah. they don't have it. Right. Yeah. And and I know in your line of work where you're doing lines of credit, you're clearly looking out, hey, you know, are you going to be using this this line of credit to fill a funding gap or really just to smooth out cash flow? Two very different things. But the vast majority, again, and I'm not, I'm not faulting nonprofits, most small businesses are this no, way. Too. They don't. Yeah, it's like they don't even have like the most simple spreadsheet that says, "Okay, I'm gonna look out for the next twelve months. I'm gonna keep it rolling so that I know in six months' time we're gonna make payroll because you want to know that as far in advance as you possibly can so that you can figure out what it is you're gonna do." And so, if the vast majority of organizations don't have that, or you know, or even some of the core things that you do as part of strategic planning, like for example, analyzing five years of financials, I and I'll share with you when we. When we facilitate strategic planning, like we have the work group go and do all of these per, these interviews of stakeholders. Although we'll interview all the board members because, well, the executive director can't interview board members and board members should not interview board members. So we'll interview all the board members. But but otherwise, they, they do all the stakeholders. But things like five-year financials, where we'll go back five years and analyze them we do the heavy lifting. So we do the data analysis and then we bring it, frankly, in easily digestible charts and graphs to the, to the work group so they can have strategic conversations like, oh, you know, what, what do these trends mean? What's going up? What's going down? What seems stalled and plateaued and why? And, and I'll share with you, oftentimes we'll have board members that will say to us, I've been on this board for four years and this is the first time I've ever seen our financials longitudinally like this. So yeah, I, you know, I'd see it every year, you know, so prior year comparison and this year maybe, but the first time I saw five years all at one time, and I had no idea this was the trend. Um, when we do that with fundraising, we actually had one organization that really did not know they have been losing donors for five years. Like literally like, and and part of this is because one of the metrics that on the board side they would be looking at is total number of new donors. You know, if you lose more donors every year than you bring in, over time your donor base is go- is going uh-huh. to is going to degrade, and eventually you won't get to zero. But eventually you'll end up with a very very small donor base that's essentially all the new people you bring in and the five people who just love you and are going to give you no uh, matter what.
0: Yeah, that's an aha moment. You know, when we we do the organizations that you know we work with that do uh, do a cash flow an- analysis, you know who they usually are ones who have a CFO or have somebody on the board who has a financial background that's you know it's that's the case that's their expertise going back to what you're saying you know somebody usually comes to the job with a background and so they kind of that's where they kind of move toward i want to ask you a question going back to something well, r- you're saying r- r- real really Stephen,
1: if, if i could just jump in i have to please. share with you over the course of my career, both as a consultant and an executive director, I've worked with a lot of board members and I've worked with a lot of treasurers. One of the best treasurers that I ever worked with, um, and th- this was an organization where, and I was the interim there, had a lot of issues with their finance office. And, uh, and so one of the best treasurers I ever worked with actually did loan underwriting for a large bank. And so for every single board meeting would take some data and turn it into charts and graphs. And would look at this with the board and go okay this is what this means this is how many days of cash we have in the bank are you know like okay you know let's compare this from three years ago what you know what 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 does our fund balance look like what does our unrestricted cash on hand look like so incredibly useful and it, one of the one of the reasons i bring that up is especially for those small organizations so like a lot of your listeners who are uh founding executive directors with a three or four person board you need that person as your treasurer. You need to find someone with that financial yeah. expertise. Sorry, yeah, I think that's—I just had to put a promo in. Yeah, I think it's
0: more important than the strategic planning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I yeah. agree with you. You know, um, And anybody will do it. I mean, people are looking, believe me, they're looking to help. They want to use their expertise. Um, so just ask around. Say, hey, do you know somebody who's an accountant or who's in the financial industry who might be willing to come on our board? This is what it requires. And then they come on board and you say, is, I need you to apply some financial principles to our board meetings, you know, and simple enough. I, I want to go uh, back to something you said that was really intriguing to me about executive directors, um, uh, majority of them lasting, I think you said three years and then they're out, right? Right. And really you said the majority of them is 18 months. And then, you know, the, the law of averages applies in your case, you were for six years. And then, you know, so you made up for somebody who was only there for 18 months and the average is that, right. Why, why are people on, like, I know you said just because maybe I think you said, because they don't come with experience, but what's the factors that are involved in turn of executive directors?
1: That is such a fair question. And I'm not going to boil it down to, okay, it's because they don't come with experience. And the reason is everybody at some point who becomes an executive director is a first time executive director Mm. without the experience. And Stephen, you're hitting on one of my pet peeves. And this is true whether we're talking about promoting a case manager to a manager of a department or we're talking about promoting someone to an executive director or appointing someone to an executive director position we will take a high performer who has never done the job before and expect that they're going to do it great without the coaching, mentoring and support necessary to do it well and then if if they don't succeed we scratch our heads and we go why didn't this person work out? They looked great. They interviewed well. They've had a track record of success. Why did they not work out? And if they do succeed, we think to ourselves, oh, wow, you know, we made a great decision. What we don't think is they succeeded in spite of us because we did not provide again that coaching that mentoring and that support that's necessary and i think that's true and and again like this is where i think there are parallels with small businesses and small nonprofits because if you're at a small nonprofit and you become a manager chances are there's not a there's not a training program there's not a coaching program for you um you know they're just like hey congratulations you know here's your new badge you're now a manager and these are the people you're going to manage good luck um, and literally, that that's what you get at most small businesses. That's what you get at small most small nonprofits. And again, it's true even, for example, at the program level, where we will take someone who is a high performer case manager and we'll make them the supervisor of the department, even though they've never supervised anyone before. And we expect they're going to do that as well without providing that training.
0: You're right. The correlation between small businesses and nonprofits is exact. I mean, listen, I, I know... I became a much better and I think the correlation that I'm about to say applies to both. And that is uh, there are, there are leaders, there's managers, and then there's the worker bees. And there's, there's no, I'm not talking about anything that's, you know, once, you know, a a better person than the other, there's just different roles. That's all. And typically a, a leader is a terrible manager. And the problem is when you're a leader in a nonprofit or a business that, you know, you, you just aren't that great at the other stuff. And so my, I think one of the things when I tra- and I, so I was not a great manager and I really worked hard at becoming a good manager and, and one of the things that I did was like I, we dove into. I I dove into. I say we because I had, I, I had a team now, and this is a while long time ago. How important it was to do everything right from the start to the finish of when you are h- hiring people to know what your culture is, to know what your strategic plan is, to know what the job description of the person is going to be doing, to how they're going to be measured. You know, we, I read all these books. I talked to lots of people. I said, we're going to be really good at being managing people. And the reason this kind of correlates to what we're talking about is that the executive director needs to have a clear and defined job description, responsibilities, and how they're being measured. Even if you're the founder, you, 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 let, let, if you come off today's podcast, you should do that. It, and uh, you know what? I learned that through uh, Dale Carnegie. <laughs> and, and you know, Dale Carnegie is that's I don't even know if he's around anymore if the organization's around anymore. But it's called a PRD, a Position Results Document. And believe it or not, that simple document made a huge difference in. Who we are hiring, and what their responsibilities, and what they what what they knew they were accounted for. And I think that goes along well into the board's responsibility and the executive director's responsibility to have it for the executive director.
1: So a couple things on that. The first is when we do strategic planning as part of that board evaluation, we ask the question. When was the last time your executive director was evaluated? When did they get an annual review? Because that's the board's responsibility. Only the board can tell the executive director how they're doing. The vast majority of the time, either the executive director's never gotten an annual review or they got one about three to six months after they started. And then It was just, hey, you know, we guess you're doing a good job, but we're not going to give you feedback on how you could do an even better job. Because that's the other thing. High performers, when they're doing a good job, they want to do an even better job. They want to know where they can grow, where they can improve. And that's also the role of the board as well, is to really devote those resources so that your executive director is able to do an even better job next year than they're doing this year. That might look like participating in, in a national association. You know, it might look like doing continuing ed um, with that national association, of your or your local nonprofit resource center. It might be executive coaching. Whatever it is, though, that's the role of the board is to really allocate those resources so the executive director gets better.
0: What do you think? Are just jump ahead a little bit. I mean, this podcast is about strategic planning. What do you think are the key ingredients in strategic planning?
1: So that's a great question. I mean, what it what it boils down to is you start with an environmental scan. And in that scan, your work group, again, because well, what we do is participatory strategic planning. So these, the work group, which is actively participating in strategic planning, they are going to look at several things. First, they're going to review the stakeholders, interviews that they do. They're going to look for trends. They're going to look for really values that are coming out. They're gonna review five years of financials. They're gonna review five years of fundraising data. They're gonna review five years of program data. I'll share with you the easiest one at most organizations is financials, because most organizations do a 990. And so literally you can take the you can take data from the 990. If it's the easy, you can't. But otherwise, you can take the data from the 990 and just throw it into a spreadsheet. The fundraising and the programs are very are much harder to do because it's not a one size fits all. Some organizations do a great job of tracking that data. The most, the vast majority of organizations do not, and so that's really where um, what we don't want to do is put more work on staff and say, you know, and now you've got to spend forty-five hours putting together this fundraising information for us, or now you've got to spend one hundred and twenty hours cranking out um, outcome measurements on your programs because you've not done it. Oftentimes, what that really is a signal of in terms of strategic planning is, hey, as part of this plan. We need to figure out how you will start over the next 18 to 36 months tracking this data and using this data to really build your organization. But so, but so then we, we also do that piece. Um, what th- you always want to take this as an opportunity to look at your mission, your vision, and your values as part of that work group environmental scan. And the last thing we do that's kind of radical, and most most organizations when they do strategic planning are not doing this, is we do a learning journey. So so when we, when we are working with a client on strategic planning, we will look out across the country and we'll typically do this as the organization's environmental scan is starting to point to a certain direction. Like, oh, we are, we are probably going to be starting a housing program, you know, or, oh, you know, we are probably going to be morphing this program into something else or doubling down on this other program. So we'll look across the country to find an organization that five to 10 years ago was about where you are now, and is where you want to be in three to five years. And uh, obviously, we've got to ask the organization. Can we do a learning journey with you? We ask for a lot. We ask for a full day of the chief executive and senior leadership's time. And you know, then we'll we'll do a deep dive. We'll do a mini environmental scan on them. We'll put together three to six pages of questions. And then we go and we spend a day with the chief executive and we figure out how do they get from where, where we are now, where they were 10 years ago, where we are now to where they are today. And that is always a light bulb moment for our work groups. Oftentimes our work groups maybe have been putting off acknowledging a hard truth, like, oh, we have to deal with this HR issue before we can succeed. Or, oh, we really need to hire a chief development officer before we're going to have the money to invest in programs. Whatever it might be, they'll often realize, oh yeah, we've been putting this off. We, we've been talking about this for years and we keep saying, well, maybe if we find the money to do it, um, or not even find the money, maybe if someone gives us the money, but we don't want to use um, unrestricted funds that are in reserves to make this investment happen. And They'll often walk away and go, yeah, we're going to have to use unrestricted funds that are in reserves to make this happen because it's going to be the catalyst and it's what's going to help us grow. So the learning journey is critical as well.
0: Yeah, I know. I I had this one podcast. It was quite some time ago where, uh, you know, one of the person, it was on fundraising and one of the uh, the guests had said, the biggest problem she sees with nonprofits when it comes to fundraising is they don't get enough money in unrestricted funds. Like they, you know, everybody thinks that, Oh, well, uh, there's, you know, these, there's all the paper headlines of, uh, boy, I'm old school when you say paper headlines nowadays, but you say paper he- headlines of, you know, this organization, 80% of the money they raise goes to their staff and only 20%, that's even, you know, that's even being uh, kind, Twenty uh, percent goes to the program, so they. Everyone thinks if you're a small nonprofit that you need to give a majority of your money to the cause. And uh, this this fundraising uh, expert said, "No, you have to have if you want to be a sustainable, growing nonprofit, especially when you're small, you have to be able to invest in your organization." And I think that was a really good message that is sometimes lost. And the reason why I do that is leading into my next question, and that is, well, at what revenue do you think? I uh, and this is you know this is a kind of a crazy question. Uh, at what revenue do you think you can afford to bring on a strategic consultant like yourself?
1: Th- that's a great question. I have had, and let me also say, like we're not the cheapest consultants out there. There are, there are consultants that charge less than us. And when I say that, I mean, right now, our strategic planning projects t- typically run between $20,000 and $25,000. And we have had uh, clients whose budgets are as low as $200,000. And we've had clients whose budgets are $30 million. And I will share with you, though, those that are 200000 have found a funder. You know, so you know, you know, they're not taking ten to twelve percent of their gross revenue and paying for strategic planning. But what they do is they find a funder because it's it's frankly kind of a an appealing ask to a funder. If I ask you to support strategic planning this year, I'm not coming back next year and asking you to support strategic planning. I'm just not. And so, you know, it's it's one of those. Oh, will you also, in addition to what you are doing, will you also help us with this? And that's where you're likely to get a yes.
0: And let me tell you something. If your uh, donor is a business person, a wealthy business person, they think they'll think that's the smartest way to give money to your organization because it's sustainable. It's exponential. They look at this and they say, you know what? That $25,000 that I'm giving to you, that's going to turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars more millions of dollars in the long run, not just the 25,000 I'm giving you this year for the program. And I think executive
1: directors sh- forget the,
0: the fact that that's the way a, a business
1: person is going to look at that. Absolutely, Steven. And the other amazing thing is now your donor is invested in that strategic plan. And so when the strategic plan rolls out and keep in mind that donor is a key stakeholder, we've gotten feedback from that donor um, pr- Frankly, if the executive director is, is, is thinking about this strategically, they're probably also giving the donor some updates throughout the planning process because it's a six to eight month process. But when the final plan rolls out, imagine then you can go back to the donor. Yeah, you said you're only going to ask once for strategic planning, but you can go back and you can say, we really need to invest in a CRM or we really need to invest in a client database. That's year one. Will you help us with that? Or we need to really invest in a CDO. Will you give us half the funding for our CDO? And because they're committed to this plan, they are much more likely to support that than than had you gotten had you used unrestricted funding to pay for your plan. And then you show up with this shiny plan. Oh, look at this great plan. Will you fund this? Yeah, that's not going to go over as well.
0: Yeah, you know, and I think there's a has. I think you just got to be careful. I think you might say to yourself not only do i want that person to donate that $25,000 but i want them to be on the board and in taking ownership of that strategic initiative and i think if you pick the wrong person for that you've just defeated your purpose so just be careful you know you know i think just you know maybe that person might be good as joining the board and and being the strategic planning committee member, but just make sure that they're, they're the right person for that role.
1: And Stephen, I agree with you absolutely in that I typically recommend if an individual or even a foundation, but if an individual is funding your planning project, they should not serve on the work group.
0: Yeah. Good. Because,
1: you, because it's just impossible for the work group to not think they have an outsized role. You know, yeah, I think for,
0: it's too big a risk. You're right. I think it's too big. A risk. Just don't do it. Right, Just right. don't do it. Um, you know, uh, and the other again, you know, what was the topic of this podcast? It was uh participatory. So participatory is not one person, right. It's a whole bunch of people. And the reason why that's so important because if that one person leaves and they're doing the majority of the strategic planning. Well, you just wasted all the money. And plus you have to get buy-in. Yeah. Right. You have to get buy-in from everybody. Yeah.
1: yeah. So. And I'll show you, you that that's where that buy-in becomes so critical because this work group then um essentially comes to the board retreat. And as consultants, we'll help put together the slide deck. But the work group, the work group, they're subject matter experts on everything we're talking about now. I mean, it is it is amazing to see Stephen, because we'll have people who don't think of themselves as finance people who can actually stand up and present financial slides because they understand them. And you know, like they're not presenting spreadsheets, they're presenting charts and graphs, but they understand the financial. So they understand the programming. And so, and so at the, at the board retreat, that's really where it's the opportunity for the work group to really help the, help the full board feel like they've been on this journey with them, that they understand this data now as well. So that after that relatively brief 90 minute, presentation they can spend the rest of the day really thinking through what will our strategic direction be what what makes sense for us and we will often show up as a work group with some recommendations but this is the board's opportunity to get that buy in and to say yeah this is the right strategic direction for us we'll also spend a good little bit of time that day talking about the board because you know I mentioned we do we do this mini board evaluation and this is the opportunity for the board in a breakout session, maybe the governance committee or the executive committee, to really think through what do we need from our board in terms of skills, connections, in terms of uh, is there a give get, or uh, frankly, just you know, are we going to require a certain level of participation, committee participation, attendance at meetings, whatever it might be? What do we need from our board so that we can succeed? And that's what becomes so powerful. All of that happens in the retreat. And then the incredible thing. Stephen is following the retreat. I always refer to it as the mad dash then to finish the strategic plan. It, in six to eight weeks is when we then have to really draft it, and this is where we as consultants will often do the drafting and then send it to the work group to review. but but draft the strategic plan that includes three year goals, annual objectives, quarterly milestones for the first year, as well as, You know, it's funny, we were just talking about that cash flow projection. It's not a cash flow projection, but as well as a three year budget. So, a three year pro forma budget of, okay, you know, if this plan is reality, how much money do you need to raise each year? Which then means you have to think through what additional expenses are we going to have to make this plan actually work. And what this does is it helps you when you go and talk to your major donors and when you go and you talk to your foundations, because you're able to say, yeah, this is what we're going to need next year in order to make this really successful. Is there something in here you might be interested in funding?
0: Yeah, such great advice. It's, been, really, it's been, really been a great podcast. Uh, I, you know, was, I've, I've learned a lot. I think we've really provided our listeners with some good things to think about. Uh, it's all the time we have today. I'd like to thank so very much Dolph Goldenberg from Successful Nonprofits for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. If you liked today's podcast and the other ones that we've had, please give us a review as long as it's five star um, on your favorite podcasting app because that's how they use the algorithms to determine uh, which should be uh, listened to by other people. And you know, we're we're we have thousands of listeners. It's really a great podcast. I'm so proud of, of the work that we're doing here. Um, And if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, uh, you can either call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website for more information at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And, Dolph, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that?
1: That's a great question. They go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com. That's SuccessfulNonprofits.com. There, they can find out about the services we offer. We do strategic planning, coaching, interim executive director engagements. um, And then they can also uh, check out our blog. We have a very active blog as well as a podcast as well, the Successful Nonprofits Podcast.
0: Yeah, it's all good stuff. Well, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you, Steve. And what a real pleasure. So I I always end the podcast this way. Uh, I'm heartfelt about it. And that is, I want to thank all of our listeners for the work that you're doing to make the world a better place. I know that um, you guys are doing the heavy lifting and I am trying to be a good person and the best person I can. I'm trying to make the world a better place one minute, one day at a time by trying to be kind, considerate and compassionate. I know that Dolph is doing the same thing and we each need to do our own part um, to make this world a better place. but I want to thank you for doing all the heavy lifting. However, when you since you're doing all that heavy lifting, don't forget to take some time out for yourself. Uh, so take a step back and enjoy um, the beautiful weather outside right now, it's summertime, and get outside and you know, get away from the organization a little bit, enjoy yourself. That's why I like strategic planning, honestly. It gets you out of the day to day stuff allows you to focus on the bigger picture. And I think that's the fun part. So, you know, everybody really have a fantastic day. And thank you for listening today to the nonprofit NBA podcast.